Welcome to the Soulful CXO, where we discuss leadership principles, core values, health, wellness, and resiliency. I'm Dr. Rebecca Wynn, the founder and the host of the show. Do you have a topic or guest you would like to be featured on the show? Would you like to be a sponsor? Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at Rebecca at SoulfulCXO.com. Please go to our partner, Cybersecurity Tribe, for weekly show recaps and other resources. Listen and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Now sit back and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Soulful CXO. I am your host, Dr. Rebecca Wynn. We are pleased to have with us Avani Desai with us today. Avani is partner and president of Shellman Company, the largest niche CPA firm in the world that focuses on technology and security assessments. She focuses on growth strategies, strategic client and market development, industry analysis, and new services. She's also the CEO and co-founder of MyCryptoAlert, a push notification and portfolio app for cryptocurrency. She started her career working at the big four accounting firm, KPMG, for over 10 years, where she led a team and oversaw IT risk management and privacy across national service lines. In addition, she managed the development of internal and external privacy programs and related practices, leveraging her deep knowledge of healthcare emerging technologies, such as blockchain, cloud computing, artificial intelligence, the internet of things, and virtualization. She's been featured in Forbes, CIO.com, the Wall Street Journal. She's sought after speaker and has a voice on various emerging technologies, including security, privacy, information security, future technology trends, and the expansion of young women involved in technology. And additionally, she finds time to sit on the board of Arnold Palmer's Medical Center, Central Florida Foundation, and is the co-chair of 100 Women Strong, a female-only venture capitalist-based giving circle that focuses on solving community-based problems specific to women and children using data analytics and big data. Whoa, Manu, welcome to the show. Rebecca, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Now, your background is very vast, and I've known each other for several years now. It always amazed me that you started out as a coder, kind of like a pen tester, and somehow you become the CEO of two companies. Can you walk us through that technology journey? Sure. So bear with me. I'm actually going to go back to before I was born. People say that your journey is written in your stars. So let me take you back. So my parents were both born in India in the 1940s. And both my maternal and paternal grandparents really believed in education. And they always thought that was the ticket to your success, which was then passed on to my parents. So my mother's parents were very progressive. Thinking about the 1940s to the 1960s, being the oldest girl in her family, when they say you marry someone like your dad, she really did. Again, her dad was very progressive. And then my dad was also a very progressive thinker. After him and my mom had two daughters, which were my two older sisters, my dad knew that if they wanted to be successful, they would have to leave the only life they knew, the only language they knew, the only religion they knew, the only people they knew really with the hopes of America would give my sisters opportunities that India couldn't. And these opportunities would be well worth the sacrifice. And I think to myself, can you imagine that? I don't, I I have three kids now. Could I do that? But the more I hear, the more I hear about this from so many people, this is the immigrant story. My story isn't unique. You'll hear the story multiple times from multiple countries 
from first generation, second generation is here. So my mom and dad came to the States. And unfortunately, even though my dad had a PhD, mathematics, my mom as well, their college degrees really didn't convert. So my dad ended up mopping floors and my mom made belts. But when you ask them, you would think that they lived a great life in India. They were so happy. But by the time I was born, and when you ask them why they're so happy, because they say they saw a country where you're going to be able to thrive. So I grew up in a family where I constantly heard the story. And I knew that my parents gave up so much for my sisters to have a chance, for me to have a chance. And that's really when you talk about like where my drive came from, that's really where my drive came from. And that's really where my my journey started. So let's talk about college. I went to college. I come from an Indian family and the stereotypes all say that I was probably predestined to be a doctor or an engineer. And it's true. Like I've always really enjoyed tinkering at a young age. And when I got into college, I was so intrigued how technology was intersecting in business and coding. Like I loved coding. So I ended up going into computer science and I really enjoyed the aspect of breaking things and trying to look at vulnerability assessment. But even during that, I realized my real love was information security. So from there, I segued into working for an accounting firm. And honestly, like if I could think about like, is this how I predicted my life? It wasn't. But everything that I consider exciting and attractive about a potential job, solving problems, data analysis, collaboration, decision-making, thinking outside of the box, I found everything there. So as you mentioned, I spent 10 years at the big four hands down, probably the most amazing experience that I was able to get. They say being at a big four, working with multiple clients, you get the gamut. And I did. So I spent my first two years focusing on security, being a pen tester. And then my next eight years, really focusing on information security. I had mentors and sponsors. I had so many education opportunities. I had amazing friends that I'm still friends with. And it was really exactly what I needed to find the seat where I am right now. But my life changed in 2012. I became a mom and I really needed more flexibility. And I needed a firm where I didn't have to choose between being a leader and a mother. And that's how I found Shellman. So Shellman was started by Chris Shellman in 2002. And he asked me to come help him really focus on business development, marketing, which I didn't know anything about. <laughs> but I knew the space and I knew what clients wanted and I knew how to increase brand, right? So through the years, I ended up taking a bit off Chris's plate. First, I focused on taking over service delivery. Then I focused on the people and talent. Then I focused on finance. And in 2018, I took a route that you probably wouldn't have thought. I had to end up getting my CPA because we are a CPA firm. I passed my CPA exam. I'm what you call a non-traditional student. And then I took over as president. And then in 2021, we went through a private equity deal and people ask me all the time, like, how did you prep for it? We weren't actively exploring the possibility. Really, on the contrary, we're seeing all this investment around us and didn't really pay attention to it. But both Chris and I, as years went on, we had a strong desire to continue to grow and innovate. But the only way that we could do that was with a strategic partner and the right organization. So I call it an unlooked opportunity. We went through this investment thesis and so forth, and then ended up having a investment in 2021 
Chris wanted to retire, but he was able to do it in six years earlier. And that's really my story. From that, Chris exited the firm October 1st, 2021. I became CEO and president. Yeah. Yeah. And for the audience, we don't know if she also has her CISP and RIC and a bunch of other alphabet behind it, and she really can apply it. That's always amazes me when I hear you speak, when you and I have talked privately, and when you've been really nice and bought me dinner when you're in the Scottsdale area, which I appreciate. But when you think about it, you've been in these big roles, CEO, variety roles too, plus you've had to study for big exams, but it's not just set and forget it. It's not just, I just pass the exams. You can apply that. Was that from early teaching on your family? What is it inside you that you can juggle all these things? I'm going to say, I don't know if I juggle them <laughs> well, but yes, I do think that is part of innate. I'm going to say it's definitely, I'm a mom, I'm a wife, I'm a daughter, I'm a CEO. But if you really think about how I can do all of that, and you don't do it by yourself, like the biggest support I have is the village. Like it's the incredible people who have been here for me every step of the way. So I'm going to really start like my family and close friends, mentors, sponsorship is really important. Chris was a sponsor of mine. Like I am a big advocate of everyone should have mentors, but you've got to find that person who's going to allow you to make that decision around the table over and over again to elevate you. So that's really important. I have colleagues, all of them really have given me this unwavering support that has been instrumental in allowing me to grow and my achievements, guidance, encouragement, sense of belonging, like all of that has fueled my drive to succeed. Yeah, a part of it is innate, but I also think it's like the environment around me. The other thing, and it's taken me a long time. When I was probably at the big four, I probably didn't prioritize as well as I should have. And prioritization today, it plays a vital role in my journey. Balancing multiple responsibilities is challenging for anyone, but I've learned to prioritize, I've really learned to prioritize what matters. For me, my children, for instance, are the legacy. I approach every decision and endeavor with their well-being and future in mind. This lens of motherhood has really shaped my perspective. And to me, that's like my guiding light, right? It serves as a constant reminder of the impact that I can make, not only professionally, but like also on the lives of my loved ones. And that really changes. People say, gosh, you've changed as a leader from 15 years ago or 20 years ago to where you are today. I think everyone changes as a leader with the things that happen in your life, right? I also think maintaining a strong sense of purpose and passion also has to be key. And I have to, I've mentored so many women who say, gosh, this isn't what I want to do, but it pays the bills and it's good for now. No, like you have to be deeply passionate about what you do. And for me, that passion drives me to overcome obstacles, enjoy what I want to do, continually strive for excellence. It's like you need something to fuel your determination to create positive change. And if you don't have that fuel, you're not going to want to leave a lasting impact and you're not going to want to build a better future for that next generation. And so it might just be better for you to step away. And I've done that many times. 
within my 21 year journey is I've had to step away for things that were safe and go to things that like, I have to really find that passion that I really enjoy, really love. The other thing is like the importance of continuous, like continuously growing for personal development. You have to be selfish. Like you can't stay stagnant in any career because you want to embrace new opportunities. You want to continue learning. You want to continue having some new skills. We're in like this rapidly evolving landscape. You got to continue to learn, but also you have to remain curious. You have to be open to learning. You have to be committed. And all of that like really plays into my love for this. And I'm going to go a little bit on a tangent. Another sense of passion for me is I'm one of only a few women who lead an accounting firm. And I'm actually the only woman of color who leads a top 100 accounting firm. So I recognize that I have this unique opportunity. And I'm going to say a responsibility as well that comes with my position. And it's not always easy, but I think by doing what I'm doing, I'm making hopefully a significant difference. Like trailblazing in a male dominant field means that I have a chance to challenge the stereotype, right? We can call it break barriers, but really it's not even that. It's just inspiring others. Growing up, when I went to school in computer science, I was one of maybe four women in a class of 70. If you can't see people like you, you may not always know what that next step is going to be. So like I embrace, I think it's really important for all of us to embrace the vulnerability that comes with being a pioneer. You have to show there's a path for success and it's not straightforward and it's not effortless. Like you have to share your journey. Like you have to be authentic and you have to say that I failed many times. I've overcome obstacles, but if you don't do that, and if you're not vulnerable about it, people are just going to think, oh, it comes easy. And maybe I'm not going to be able to do that. And so you, I will constantly do this at the firm. I will tell anyone who asks me, like the road is challenging, but I believe these challenges provide me a valuable opportunity for growing resilience, ultimately, hopefully making an impact, but we have to be it is not easy and you have to be vulnerable to tell people that it isn't easy. And I make an effort to do that because I think it, it's an obligation that women, especially in tech and accounting and consulting have to do. I fully agree with you. I think we have to share our stories and our bruises yeah. because that's what encourages someone else to keep going. If not, they think that people it just happens. And if it doesn't happen to me because I tried once, I have to leave the field. And we do see a mass exodus in the field, not only from burnout, but I would just say at times us as women, it appears, I'm not saying it's the fact, it appears and feels like that we unfortunately get picked on and have expectations that are we can't meet. And we've seen that quite a bit. You mentioned about coming up and finding out your authentic self and that you mentor people and coming up with your your authentic self. That's what I'm going to call it. But do you use Venn diagrams? How do you hear that? I think at times we squash our inner voice so much 
that we can't hear it through the noise. So how do you encourage people or mentor people to find that inner voice again and what they what their true love is? Yeah. So look, I don't want to say you have to use an algorithm or a process or anything. One thing that I do every year, and it's because someone had who had mentored me told me to do this, is in an organization, you come up with what's your mission, what's your vision, what are your core values? Like, but we should do that as people as well. So what is my mission? What is my vision? What are my core values? What am I, what are my non-negotiables? And I do, I come up with a thousand day plan for me professionally and me personally. Like, what type of mom do I want to be? What things will I not miss? And what skill sets do I want to focus on? Like one of my skill sets probably my Achilles heel, (laughs) something that I constantly need to focus on is staying like focused. And I write checklists. Like I write, I always have a checklist because I forget things and I am not, I'm so strategic and big picture thinking, but there's so many things that I have to do on a tactical perspective. And so that is like, for the last three years, that has probably been like one of the things that I have to continue to work on is like, how can I get better when it comes from like, finishing things, getting things done, moving on without getting so distracted by what's going on in the world. But I think that's really important, like sitting down, having some introspection and saying, what type of person do I want to be? And it's going to change. And you have to make sure it changes. Like you have to reinvent yourself every five years, especially where we are in technology, where like technology is outpacing humans. Like we have to reinvent ourselves But if you don't consciously sit down and think about it and write out like this is like my what I want my life to look like. And for the next year, short term plans, the next 60 days, 90 days, long term plans, five years, six years. And you have to be present to do that. And you have to think it through. And that really changed the way that I thought about my future. And it wasn't like okay, what's tomorrow going to bring? I was thoughtful about what I would say yes to. And it's okay to say no. I was thoughtful about what boards I was going to join. Was I going to say yes? Was I not going to? If it didn't fit with my vision, my mission, and my core values, I wasn't going to do it. And it's okay to say no. And I think a lot of women, including myself, like we always feel like we have to say yes and yes. And I heard this once and I used it as like my purpose for 2021 was no is a complete sentence, like in all aspects of my life. And you have to go through that. And then you realize that what's my passion? What do I want to work towards? And I think it's really important for all people to sit down every year and think of what your mission, your vision, your values, your core values, your purpose is going to be. You'd spoken earlier about there's a difference between a mentor and a sponsor. And I've had a lot of mentors in my life, to be honest, but I haven't had those golden sponsors. And I don't think I'm the only one out there. And I think that's part of the struggle is we have mentors who are great people and I mentor the people too, but sometimes to get to that next level or get to where you really want to make a bigger ripple effect in the world, which is like how I am, always want to make a bigger ripple effect in the world. Did you stumble on your sponsors? Do you seek them out? How do we, how do we get aligned with that? 
it's hard. For me, I did stumble across maybe a little luck, maybe a bit of luck, a bit of performance, a bit of branding. I don't know. But where I think you and I, I mean, we have to be sponsors for women, for men, for people within our organization. So let me talk a little bit about that. Mentors are wonderful. Like I've had mentors who I could pick up the phone and call and say, I'm having a hard time with motherhood and trying to find a corporate ladder. Or I can pick up a mentor and pick up a phone and say, I have this new service line. You know, how have you done it at your organization? So you can have mentors within your organization, outside, within your industry, outside, men, women. You should have like multiple mentors that will give you different facets of your life. I think that's really important. And you should never think that's not important. You have to continue to do that early in your career all the way to today. I probably have three really great mentors right now within my life, and they're very different, but they also fill a very different cup within my life as well. Then sponsors. This is, I think, as equally important, but probably more important when you want to get to a C-level or an executive level, right? It's someone within your organization, as I mentioned before, who is going to take you around the table and trust you to make decisions and go to bat for you and will tell the naysayers, because there's going to be naysayers, that she's going to be the one making the decision and I've put her in a position of power, right? Oh my gosh, it is very hard to find sponsors, right? You got to go seek them out. You got to find that person who like has a lot of trust and confidence in you. And yeah, it is very difficult, but I think more and more people in your position, my position have to be that sponsor for multiple people in the organization. And I've done, I've done that. There is a, we just had a woman become partner at our organization in January. And I did. I was her sponsor and I had to have difficult conversations with her about things that she should do or she shouldn't do. But that's just to be very transparent. You have to have like radical transparency, give feedback. And you got to say to get to this next level and you have to invest a lot of time, a lot of energy. You have to let them make mistakes. You got to let them fail and be okay with it. And it's hard. It's really hard to find that. And I think if you're at a right organization and you're going to find it. And I think for me, when I came over to Shellman, a lot of it was because I had a sponsor who probably had more faith and trust in me than I had in myself. Yeah. That's one thing. A great point when you bring that up, because I was thinking about CIOs and CTOs and CISOs, especially CISO CIOs. I've seen that they busted their butt in the different roles that they had. And they just, it's like, no matter how much time and effort and non-sleeping, I could never get a good enough win. And when I've done those deep dives, consistently listening through those conversations is they got hired, but they weren't sponsored. Yeah. 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 And then you lost from the very beginning when that happens. I would have to ask you because you are, a CPA firm, and we talk about AI quite a bit, and we talk about risk, and we talk about what's going to be happening with PCI and things along those lines. And, and I talk quite a bit about people and all the writers that's coming on for the business continuity and liability insurance and, 
and it's not set and forget it. What do you see in your world that's coming down the pipe that people should be really aware of and preparing for um, along the AI and the content management? And I know this this version five covers it slightly, but it's a big area that's coming down the pipe. Yeah. So I came across a statement that really caught my attention. It said something like this, like either embrace AI or go out of business. So I know that sounds extreme, but it really highlights the transformative impact of AI in today's fast-paced and competitive landscape. I am a huge believer in the potential of AI. I definitely think it's a game changer that can revolutionize how organizations operate and thrive. I'm also in compliance, right? So the key really lies in striking the right balance between innovation, anything. This isn't just AI. I can talk about, you can put anything you want in there. You can put blockchain in there, right? No, it's between innovation and responsibility. So AI, let's talk about that. You know, it can, we've heard it. It can help streamline processes, automate repetitive tasks, allow people and enable them to make data-driven decision-making, efficiency, productivity. We've heard it all. And I tell inside my organization, I recently talked to our chief product and technology officer and I was like, gosh, we have to have AI algorithms, right? Help us identify patterns, you know, anomalies, proactively address risk, right? That maybe we may not get into when we're in the manual process, but I have to even, I got to stop myself to make sure I'm not getting caught up in the frenzy and forget about compliance. So compliance is a critical pillar and you have to be able to integrate that into any AI strategy. So I think it's not a choice between embracing AI or compliance. What's the best way? Maybe it's about embracing AI while upholding compliance standards, right? And so organizations have to consider ethical implications, data privacy, the security concerns. And so organizations have to adopt a proactive approach. Like you have to invest in a robust governance framework. You have to implement transparent and explainable AI models. You gotta prioritize data privacy and protection. And you have to really collaborate with compliance experts and stay abreast of the evolving regulations that are going to be vital. And you're right. Unfortunately, I feel like technology outpaces regulations and outpaces compliance frameworks. But I'm going to put in a plug. You have to get security assessments to build trust with your clients, right? But you really have to have a good relationship with legal, risk management, your assessors, and then the people who are your product folks. But I hear so many times, like I hear it internally and I hear it at our clients. So AI means we're going to to compromise on compliance. No, it's an opportunity to enhance your compliance practice through automation, through analytics. And you got to take AI initiatives and you got to align them with requirements. You really do. So it's not about choosing one or the other. It's really about embracing AI. You got to uphold your commitments to compliance. And so you talk about PCI and SOC and ISO. And one thing that I'm also, and I know you're an advocate of it, is like an AI acceptable use policy. So having a document that really outlines ethical considerations, limitations, guidelines, 
for responsible AI deployment is so important. And you got to make sure that it covers things like data privacy, transparency, bias mitigation, accountability, right? Using AI in a responsible manner. Like everyone wants to use chat GPT, even within our organization. Fine, use it. Don't put client information in it, right? Don't put intellectual property in there. And the other thing that I would say is when it comes to compliance and regulatory requirements, you got to stay informed and adopt and adapt to like standards. So NIST is out there. ISO now has a standard that's out there. But transparency and explainability are going to be so important. And the last thing I can't stress enough about this is like ongoing monitoring assessments. Like implementing AI is not a one-time effort. Like it's continuous evaluation, continuous maintenance. You've got to monitor your AI systems. You've got to conduct regular assessments. you got to know what's going on with regulations. You have to update your internal policies and so forth. But you got to embrace it. I agree with it. Like you can't just say, okay, I'm just going to let everyone else figure it out before I do. Because you're going to be, you're going to be outpaced. You're going to become obsolete if you don't embrace it. Yeah, I tell people like my always golden rule is it known, documented, implemented, measured, and managed. And how does yeah. it go ahead and reflect on your enterprise risk management? And what is your tolerance for the organization? And what is okay. your are you in compliance or not compliance in your contracts that way? And if not, can you explain it? Because when that nefarious event happens, that's what's always going to go down to was it reasonable, not reasonable, and those five points again. The whole set and forget it, or let's revert the architecture back to the way it was after the auditors were here. Hopefully those days are quickly becoming behind us. Our time is starting to run short, but I want to make sure that you have an opportunity to tell people how they can engage you for speaking engagements. And then also, how can they learn more about both of your companies? And then to be able to go ahead and learn about their services and things along those lines. That's great. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Avni, D-A-V-A-N-I-D-E. You can go to www.shalman.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. One thing that I'm very passionate about, and I know you and I share this passion, is really education and not sales. (laughs) So I would love to be able to talk to anybody about how to consolidate their compliance reports, what we're seeing in the market. NIST CSF is out there, especially with Biden cybersecurity executive order. We're seeing so much excitement around that. So yeah, easy to get a hold of me, LinkedIn, theshelman.com. You can find me on Twitter and happy to have a conversation with anyone. If anyone would be interested, same thing, LinkedIn, I'm happy to talk about the excitement of emerging technology how do regulated companies understand compliance and so forth. It's a super passion of mine. And hopefully you can see that today. And I tell people, you need a keynote speaker. Obviously you speak around the world, keynote speaking. And I think they're always fascinating and always have a great time with you when we're on the stage or off stage together. Avni, you are a soulful CXO and we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks, Rebecca. Always great to spend time with you. 